preaching text today comes from Habakkuk, um, several chapters. The oracle <laughs> that the prophet Habakkuk saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not listen? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see wrongdoing and look at trouble? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law becomes slack and justice never prevails. The wicked surround the righteous. Therefore, judgment becomes forth perverted. Look at the nations and see. Be astonished. Be astounded. For a work is being done in your days that you would not believe if you were told. For I am rousing the Chaldeans, that fierce and impetuous nation, who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. Dread and fearsome they are. Their justice and dignity proceed from themselves. I want to stand at my watch post and, wa and station myself on the rampart, and I will keep watch to see what he will say to me and what he will answer concerning my complaint. Then the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so that a runner may read it. For there is still a vision for the appointed time. It speaks of the end and does not lie. If it seems to tarry, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Look at the proud. Their spirit is not right in them, but the righteous live by their faith. Though the fig tree does not bloom and no fruit is on the vines, though the produce of the olive fails and the fields yield no food, though the flock is cut off from the fold and there is no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will exult in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer and makes me tread upon the heights to the leader with stringed instruments. The word of the Lord. Brothers and sisters, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, so our reading today is from uh, the prophet Habakkuk, and Jean did a great job pronouncing that name, Habakkuk, so good job, Jean. Uh, and, uh, and it comes from several chapters in Habakkuk, so you might have noticed it jumped around a little bit. And I also added a couple notes in the bulletin just to help make sense of it, because uh, it doesn't always say who's speaking. If you open the Bible and just read Habakkuk, it's not clear always who the speaker is. So I put in that little, the prophet complains, God responds, uh, and so on throughout. We're actually hearing the, uh, the whole breadth of the book of Habakkuk. So there's three selections. It's not a long book. It's about maybe three pages in the Bible. It's not much. Uh, and we're hearing the very first verses at the beginning. That middle section is the beginning of chapter two. And the last section are the last three verses of Habakkuk. So we're hearing kind of the breadth of it, even if there's uh, some sections that we're not hearing from. But Habakkuk has one of the most important statements in all of Scripture. You might have noticed it as it went through. It's right on the bottom of your first page as it's laid out uh, in your bulletins. And it's Habakkuk 2, verse 4, and it says, The righteous will live by their faith. And that statement has a life that lives uh, long beyond uh, just its immediate time in uh, right before the Babylonian invasion of Jerusalem uh, because it is quoted several times in the New Testament. So Paul will quote it in the book of Romans. He'll quote it in the book of Galatians. Uh, it also comes up, uh, it's quoted in the book of Hebrews, and it's alluded to, referenced to, if not directly quoted, a few other times. 
And then it has a life beyond that because in the Reformation, this verse once again, this statement once again, and especially Paul's use of it, becomes central to our understanding of ourselves as Lutherans and other uh, churches of the Reformation. And it becomes summed up in this little phrase that maybe you've heard, justification by faith. Justification by faith alone, sometimes it's said, uh, which is the center of what we believe as Christians. Let me read just uh, Paul's uh, first uh, reference to it. This is in the book of Romans. And uh, in the book of Romans, uh, there's this long introduction of sort of greeting. He's never met these people, so he's sort of introducing himself, making small talk at the beginning of the letters and uh, of the letter. And then he gets into the meat of the letter. And he opens up with sort of a statement of what the letter is about. And, and in that, he quotes this verse from Habakkuk. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who has faith, to the Jew first, also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed through faith for faith, as it is written, the one who is righteous will live by faith. So this important verse is here in Habakkuk, and the question is, what does it mean to live by faith? What does it mean to live by faith? What does it mean that the righteous will live by faith? What does it mean when we say we are justified by faith? Well, I think the book of Habakkuk gives us actually several good pictures. So our reading, I didn't pick the selections from the book, but I was really happy when I saw them, uh, what uh, specific parts of Habakkuk they had chosen, because I think you get three pictures of what faith is like. You get three pictures of what it means to live by faith in these three selections from the book of Habakkuk. So we're just going to walk through those uh, together, and we're going to look a little, uh, a little bit at what faith looks like. The first one, uh, to understand, you have to kind of know the history of what's going on. So last week, if you remember, we were in the book of Jeremiah, and Jeremiah was standing at the temple, and he was giving this sermon saying, uh, don't uh, rely on these words of falsehood, the temple of the Lord, because people were saying, well, because the temple's here, a foreign nation could never overcome us. Even if you know, we're worshiping all these other gods, we're not worshiping Yahweh, we've got his temple, so at least he'll protect us because of the temple. And Jeremiah is saying that's not the case. Well, Habakkuk is prophesying right at the same time as this. So this is in the last final decades, uh, one or two decades maybe, of the kingdom of Judah before the Babylonians are going to come in and they destroy the city and they destroy the temple and they exile many of the people off to Babylon for uh, 70 years. So a few generations of people uh, are, go off to Babylon and many of them actually never return. They just become Babylonian. Uh, it's, it's a traumatic time in Israel, and Habakkuk is right leading up to this. We know basically nothing about this prophet except for this is when he's prophesying um, because he's talking about the Babylonians coming. So let's start in verse 1, and I want to see this first picture of what faith looks like, and faith here looks like calling God to account. So let's start at the beginning. Oh, I'm in Romans. That will not be the right spot. In Habakkuk, the oracle that the prophet Habakkuk saw. O Lord, how long will I cry for help and you will not listen? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see wrongdoing and look at trouble? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. The law becomes slack. Justice never prevails. The wicked surround the righteous. Judgment comes forth perverted. Why, Lord, are you allowing this to happen? Now, often when we think about faith, 
we think about something that's quiet, right? Something that is self-assured, perhaps. That, you know, you sort of have the things, you have your uh, answers straight. You know what's right about the world. You know who God is. You believe that God did these things. You believe that Jesus came. And that is faith in a sense. It's what Martin Luther would call a historic faith. And it's part of the deal. But you see here that faith is much more than just this sort of believing, intellectually believing that these things have happened. It's actually a relationship, and it's a relationship that allows Habakkuk to call God to account, to make a bold complaint against God. God, these things are happening, they've been happening, and it seems that you are doing nothing. I don't know if any of you have had these experiences. Actually, I do know a few of you have certainly had these experiences, these, these yelling matches with God where you wonder, God, why did you allow this or this other thing to happen? Why didn't you intervene? Why do you allow uh, these acts of violence that we hear about in the news? Why do you allow those to go on? Why do you allow evil to prevail? This is living by faith. Well, God responds, and I'm not sure it's quite the response that Habakkuk would want to have, but it's the response he gets. God responds, look at the nations and see, be astonished, be astounded. A work is being done in your days, which you would not believe even if you were told. He says, I am rousing the Chaldeans, which is another word for the Babylonians. I'm rousing the Babylonians, that fierce and impetuous nation. They will come, they will seize dwellings which are not their own. Uh, They are dread and fearsome. So Habakkuk complains to God, God, things are bad here. There is injustice. People are exploiting the court system. They're taking advantage of the poor and you're doing nothing about it. And God says, oh, you want me to do something about it? Well, I'm going to bring the Babylonians and they're going to level the whole place to the ground. And then the next several verses beyond where our reading stops here, this first section of our reading, is several verses talking about just how rough the Babylonians are. Their horses are as swift as leopards, it says, uh, you know, more menacing than wolves at dusk. Uh, They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They come for violence. Their own might is their God. The Babylonians really are worse than uh, the injustice in Israel. And I'm reading now beyond where we heard, but this is in verse 12 of chapter 1, because Habakkuk responds again, and he says, Are you not from of old, O Lord my God, my Holy One? Are you not from of old? Now, that's a little bit of a strange way uh, of phrasing it, but what he's saying is, are you the same God that we've had all this time? I mean, I wanted you to act, God, but this doesn't quite sound like you. Are you really going to take the Babylonians and they're going to come to your chosen people and they're going to to kill us all? They're going to level Jerusalem and bring us to the ground? Are you sure you're the same God as you were yesterday? This is all walking by faith. Now, you notice there's no sense of having the answers here right? He doesn't even really get a good answer. God says, oh yeah, I'm doing something, but God's answer actually seems worse than the problem. And yet Habakkuk is left asking the question. So that's our first picture. What does it mean to live by faith? Well, it means to be able to call God to account, to have confidence in God that you can stand before God and let him have it, knowing that he can take it. All right, second section then. Our second section then starts off with what I was talking about in the children's sermon, this expectant waiting, this hope. So what does it mean to live by faith? It means to live with a hope, with an expectant waiting from God. So Habakkuk uh, has uh, completed this complaint, like the Babylonians are even worse, God, your response seems worse than the problem. And this is then where he goes to. 
Well, I will stand at my watch post. I will station myself on the rampart. I will keep watch to see what God will say to me and how he will answer my complaint. Even though God's actions seem questionable at best to Habakkuk, he is still waiting, expectant for an answer, because he knows, because he trusts that God will answer, because he already knows the answer to his question. This is the same God from of old. And lo and behold, God does answer. He says, write, it, write this vision, make it plain on tablets. He says, if it seems to tarry, this is a little farther down, if it seems to tarry, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. He says, look at the proud, their spirit's not right with them, but the righteous will live by their faith. What is it to live by faith here? It is to wait, to be expectant, to hope in God's promise. Though it seems to tarry, wait for it. For God will fulfill his promise. And then this last section in Habakkuk, uh, in chapter 3, the last few verses of Habakkuk are just a lovely uh, affirmation of faith. It's hard to find actually a, a better one. Uh, and this is a picture of faith as being against your experience. So first Habakkuk lays out his experience. This is what's happening in his life. Uh, at least this is what it seems like it's happening. It's poetry, so it's hard to know if he's literally describing something or being poetic. He says, though the fig tree does not blossom, though there's no fruit on the vines, though the produce of the olive fails, though the fields yield no food, though the flock is cut off from the fold, though there is no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. So what is his experience? His experience is scarcity. All of these things for food are lacking, right? The fig tree is not blossomed. And those of you who know anything about tree fruit know if there's no blossoms, there's not going to be any fruit. There is no fruit on the vines. The grapes have failed. The olive uh, has not come forward. And uh, olive oil is like the primary staple at that time. That's what you make your bread with. The fields are not yielding grain. The flock, the sheep, well, they're gone. They've run off. Uh, there's no herd in the stalls. There's no animals for food. This is about as dire as it can get. And in a time of war, this sort of thing happens. When Jerusalem is under siege, this sort of thing happens. Yet Habakkuk says, I will rejoice in the Lord. Yet I will exalt in the God of my salvation. Why? God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He makes me to tread upon the heights. Living by faith is living against our experience. Because when you look around, you see that the world is not right. What's winning, good or evil? When you look around, I think evil has the upper hand. Things always trend towards injustice, it seems. Things always tend towards sin. And if you don't look outward, if you look just inward, you see just about the same thing, right? The things that you had hoped for, the, things that you, uh, the, the habits that you thought you could beat, uh, the sins that you thought you would stop committing, they just keep coming back on you. It seems that they have the last word. To live by faith, then, is to live not by what you see or what you experience, to live not according to what the evidence tells you. It is to live by a word, by a promise from God. It is to live expecting and trusting that God will keep his promise to you. There's a, if any of you have any experience with flying, this is an illustration that I've been sitting on for a while that I've just wanted to use, and now I've, you know, I've got the chance. 
I stole this from, uh, oh, I can't think of his name now. He was pastor of the Presbyterian Church here in town. Uh, when I visited back in January, he used it, and I told him I was going to steal it. Now, here it is. Um, but uh, uh, if you've ever f- known anybody who flies, who's a pilot, um, or it, maybe if you've ever uh, been any, done any flying yourself, there's this thing that pilots have to go through um, to get their sort of uh, final uh, ability to fly at any weather, and it's called an instrument rating. And basically what that is, is if you're flying and there's clouds or there's fog or anything like that, you can't see where you are. And the way that you're moving, it's not even clear always which way's up and which way's down. It's very easy to get turned around when you're in a cloud and you can't see anything. So you have these instruments in front of you. And some of these instruments tell you, they tell you where the horizon is. Uh, so they tell you where your level is. They tell you your airspeed, whether you're going up or down. They tell you what you're doing. And especially, and uh, the example that he used, he was a fighter pilot, so in fighter jets, this is incredibly important, your body is often telling you something that is different from what's actually happening. So if you've ever been in a car, uh, like sitting at a, uh, uh, in a parking lot perhaps, and you look and the car next to you starts to pull out and you feel like you're going forward, even though your car's off, it's sort of that feeling where your body tells you something is happening, but it's not actually what's happening. If you ever hear sometimes uh, planes will just fly straight into a mountain, something like that, it's because people think that they're flying up or down and they actually don't have any idea where they're at. And so it becomes important. You have to get this thing called an instrument rating where they literally only let you fly by looking at your instruments. You've got an instructor with you right there and you have to look at the instruments and see what they do and you can't trust anything else. So you have to have only that information and fly according to it because they're giving you enough to go by. Um, And you have to learn to trust that over your own feelings. To live by faith then is to live according to what you are told is true even when everything in you, everything around you tells you something else is happening. To live by faith is to live by your ear, listening to the right voice of your shepherd, rather than by your eye, by what you can seek out and study and find for yourself. And it's hard. It is so hard. And that's why faith finally is a gift. So in Ephesians in the New Testament, we hear uh, you are justified by grace through faith and this is not your own doing that anyone should boast. It is a gift from God because we can't maintain faith on our own, especially with what it requires. I mean, look at those pictures of living by faith. None of that is easy. Even God seems to be against Habakkuk. Now, often we think of uh, temptation as uh, being tempted to do something that we're not supposed to do, right? We're tempted to steal or, or adultery or whatever it is. Uh, but I want you to think of temptation in another way, that the worst temptation is the temptation that pulls us away from faith. Because what the devil really wants is to, for you to stop trusting the promise of God, for you to look at the evidence inside yourself and say, boy, I'm just going straight to hell in a handbasket here. But God's promise to you is that you are forgiven, that you are justified, that you are righteous, not because of what you have done, not because of how you've earned it, but by faith, by trusting in this promise. That promise was given to you most firmly in baptism. Uh, And in baptism, you hold to that promise that you are God's chosen, that you are God's beloved, that God uh, uh, delights in you. God is well pleased with you. The same promise that Jesus received from his father in his baptism. 
in communion, uh, when we give uh, the bread and the wine, Jesus says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. We trust in that word, not according to our own experience. In confession, when I say, in the name of Jesus Christ, I declare unto you the forgiveness of all of your sin, we believe that word of our shepherd, not the experience of our hearts, which are fickle. The righteous shall live by faith. And this is a daily struggle, a daily, as Luther will call it, a daily dying and rising before God. But this is what it is, and this is where our salvation lies. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.